And as an artist building a fan base, unplug fan base and put in the word community. And I'll tell you, it's a much better way to visualize what you're creating for yourself as a musical business, because there's a difference between treating your music as a business and treating it as a hobby. And live streaming has just really filled that void as best as I think you possibly can without being able to see these people face to face. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm really excited to be here today with Will Black. Uh, Will is a rock singer from Canada. He performs new classic rock. I, kind of, I, I view him as a modern day Bon Jovi, and he's a, a great example of, of an artist who really embodies the meaning of modern musician. He is an artist in our Gold Arts Academy right now. And when we met him, he was doing some really incredible things online with his community and he does live streams every single night. And he's a full-time musician. And you know, I think that nowadays, more than ever, it's so important to learn how to use the tools with the internet and specifically live streaming in order to connect with people and be able to perform for them, especially if you're not able to go out and tour live. So, uh, Will, thanks so much for taking time to be here today. I would love if you could just share a little bit about um, your story and, and how you got to this point that you're at now. That'd be awesome. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks, Mike, for having me on the show and and, and having me as part of a, a Gold Academy. It's been a fantastic experience. And uh, I just want to add that the community of team members that you've created to run and, and carry members through the program is just awesome. Really great personalities and just an awesome community to now be a part of. So thanks for that. So my my story, well, I'll just take it back to sort of when it's relevant as being an independent musician uh, creating original music. That was probably started for me in 2008 when the first record came out. All the records I've done, including that one, were all self-produced and self-written, singer-songwriter vibe. Yeah, modern day Bon Jovi is, is, is fine. <laughs> you know, Bruce Springsteen, uh, a lot of influence in there, John Mellencamp, a lot of classic guys, singer-songwriter guys. Did you, read, uh, did you read his autobiography? It's one of those books I've got, I had someone gifted it to me. I was going to read it and then I ended up gifting it back to somebody else because I was leaving Bermuda at one point. I'd lived there for a long time. and But what I did watch was his Netflix special, which is basically a kind of a lot. It's called Live on Broadway. And it was on Broadway for two, for like 18 months straight. He did the show five nights a week kind of on Broadway. And then they filmed it last night of the show, of the, of the run. It was a Netflix special. And that is basically a live two hour, sort of two and a half hour play of his autobiography. Wow. And it's, it's incredible. Um, I, I recommend anyone who's a fan of just music, uh, just watch it. It's just a guy with 40 years under his belt of being a professional touring musician, everything Bruce Springsteen's done, whether you like him or not, it's just an amazing show to watch. So I, I, I've seen that, really enjoyed that. I fall, I've been a Bruce fan for, well, since probably 90, 92, when uh, um, Lucky Town and, and um, Better Days came out. I think those are the two. He did a double album release back then. But yeah, it's uh, he's... Um, I always like to quote Bruce as a, as a guy who's 71 years old now, but he still is making what I think is relevant music in regards to his career. He may be in the twilight of his career to a large degree just because of his biological age, but he still makes records that are completely relevant and fresh and awesome sound. Like he listened to Letter to You, which is the one he just put out uh, in 2020. And it's my record of the year. I think it's amazing. It's just great. 
So that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's me talking about Bruce. <laughs> yeah, <this is> a, <laughs> I know you asked me about my story, but but that is part of my story. And I think a lot of people listening right now, they have an artist or 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 um, a creative uh, individual that that is part of their story. Somebody that maybe they model themselves after a little bit. Because I certainly do with Bruce and, and John Bon Jovi to, to to a degree as well. Um, it's funny they're both from New Jersey. Um, I'm not from anywhere near New Jersey. I'm I'm from Canada, so it's it's a quite a bit north from there, but. Funny enough, one of my good buddies is from Long Branch, uh, which is right down the corner from Asbury Park, where a lot of these guys grew up and performed. And I did have the pleasure <laughs> of one night after a Bruce Springsteen uh, pre-tour show that I'd won tickets to, I was on the stage at the Stone Pony, which is a very famous bar uh, in, in Asbury Park. And I remember I got up there and uh, I was pretty drunk. <laughs> we just finished watching a Bruce Springsteen concert with my, my buddy. Anyways, he... My buddy talked to the to the manager of the bar because it was a Monday night, and this bar is set up like almost like a uh, a hard rock cafe. There's guitars on the walls, artwork is a big paraphernalia store, but there's a big stage and a huge concert area. So my buddy was like, "Loke was like, yo yo, would you mind if my buddy got up and uh, sang some songs? Would that be okay?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, no problem, as long as he doesn't sing any Bruce Springsteen tunes." <laughs> we were hmm. kind of half joking, but. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. And I think that was that was what the same year, actually, believe it or not, that my, my first record came out in 2008, um, just before the Magic Tour uh, that Springsteen was doing. But I think a lot of people, when they're coming up, there's always somebody or a couple of artists that, that you gravitate towards and you kind of emulate. And uh, yeah, for a long time, for me, it's been Springsteen. I, he's rarely done something where I've gone, ah, oh, man, I, I wouldn't have done that. I don't like that. He's been pretty uh, solid for me. And uh, that's not not a bad way to start out, man. Before your your first album comes out, sharing the stage with Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> well, I mean, didn't share the stage. I was on a stage that he was known for, like the Stone Pony, like everybody's played there. So he wasn't oh, there. Okay. I was by myself. This was a post Springsteen show. And I actually, I didn't have a guitar. But at so, some point he was on that stage. <laughs> yeah, of course. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Okay. That's well, exactly, we're, yeah. that's still, still, still pretty awesome. So, so yeah, I'd love to hear. So in terms of, you know, your journey as a musician, I'd love to hear how you became a full-time musician or what, or what you feel like some of the biggest forks on the roads or were there any like moments where everything kind of like changed for you or there's like a, a key decision you had to make and, and what did that look mm -hmm. like? Sure. I think there's two um, that I can think of sort of early in my career that a lot of ours might be able to relate to. Uh, the first was when I made the switch from being sort of a nine to five day job guy, I was working in IT for a, a courier company called Loomis in Canada and in Vancouver. And I had an opportunity to go do a contract on cruise ships performing with my friend, Ray Pullen. We had a duo called the Door Crashers. Um, we've been playing kind of weekend warrior gigs in and around Vancouver. We had kind of specifically put this band to try and get a cruise ship gig and kind of get out of Vancouver for various reasons. <laughs> a lot of them are relationship based with significant <laughs> others at the time. But we did. We, we got what happened is that um, the summer came around, uh, summer of 2001. Yeah. And we got a contract offer to go play on Carnival Inspiration down in New Orleans, Louisiana, sailing on New Orleans. Um, and we got it. It was great. And But we had to kind of make a real leap of faith because we had to build all these backing tracks. We had to teach ourselves how to do that. Um, while we're doing all this work, putting this act together, specifically to go on cruise ships. And we had day jobs. He was working at a music store. I was doing this IT job I mentioned. We had long-term relationships that we're in that we're going to come to an end. <laughs> um, and we just, we were kind of taking a, we were making a very conscious decision to say to, our, to ourselves, you know, we wanted this fork in the road in our lives, just not just as people, but as musicians. So we ended up getting a gig, a fill-in gig to go cover uh, a band that had to leave for whatever reason. And then 
we were supposed to fly out like September 18th. And it's like the morning of September 11th. We're rehearsing. I remember sta staring at the, the screen, the big screen in his parents' house, rehearsing tunes, watching what's going on in New York City. And I said to Ray, I said, dude, I don't think we're going anywhere right now. And, and it was true. We were delayed about a week, but we did get down there. And uh, so that... That was sort of my story for the next three or four years. I also met my wife on that in that on that first contract. Again, relationships drive a lot of this as well, hmm. and and we've been together ever since. So that's been an amazing thing. But also, what happened is that out of these cruise ship gigs, you're always evolving as an artist. And after a few years of cruise ships gig, cruise ship gigs, I, I realized it wasn't for me a long term goal because I I wanted to be on land again. I wanted to have some stability. I wanted to have a family. I wanted you know do things that were on land that were hard to do on cruise ships. I'm not, not going to talk about cruise ship life, but there's a whole it's a whole dynamic that's very particular to partying and and having a great old time and being very independent. So a couple of years later, I had an opportunity to get a house gig at a bar in Bermuda, uh, playing five nights a week. April through New Year's, so nine months out of the year. And I got that gig because I was doing a cruise into Bermuda out of Philly. And I met the owner of the bar. They were looking for a guy. It was very much just serendipitous how it all happened. I was like the second last week of my contract. And I just happened to meet the band that was hosting an open mic. And they said, hey, do you want to play at the bar on the corner because they're looking for a guy? I'm like, yeah, why didn't we connect like months ago? <laughs> but it just all came together. And, and so I started that gig in 2005 at the Hogpenny Pub in Hamilton, Bermuda. And I was their house entertainer for 12 years until 2017. So those two particular events in my life really formed my career. So there was the cruise ship thing for three years off and on, and then 12 years as sort of the house guy at this bar on a Caribbean island. Awesome. I mean, you, you hear a lot of stories about some of the greatest musicians of all time and how, I mean, like the Beatles, for example, the reason that they got so good is because they, every single night they're performing, you know, they're performing over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, so that's amazing. You know, 17 years of, or is it what, like 12 years. years, 12 years, 12 years. Yeah. And um, so I, I'm curious what the transition looked like between, you know, I know now you're doing these every single night, these live streams. You know, what did that, what did that transition look like? When did you decide to start doing live streams? And, mm -hmm. and was it like all at once? You're like, well, you know what, I'm just going to start doing this every night for, for a month or like how did mm -hmm. you start um start doing that what are some of the benefits of like live streaming you think versus doing live shows sure uh well i i first i first started live streaming in 2013 when my second record was coming out and it wasn't a fancy setup uh it was just a, a webcam and i had like a, a blue yeti mic which is like an awesome kind of podcasting type mic and that was my set for a number of years while i was in bermuda um and it was i think live streaming for me was always uh it was something I did for a long time just for my inner circle members, which is my Patreon membership uh, group. So I did it a couple times a week. I've been doing that for a long time, for, since 2013. But the live stream that you're talking about was when I start, when I launched my acoustic rock show uh, series on Facebook. And I did that almost a year to the day today, actually. Um, it was in, on January 12th of 2020, I started it. And I went, went in starting it. I haven't already done many, many live streams off and on you, you know, up to that, but never something really consistent on Facebook, a public one. So I said, I'm going to make this one nightly. Um, it's going to be about a half hour long. And uh, I'm just going to go for it. Keep it real consistent. See if I can build some more uh, fan, build the fan base and engage in this way. And it was, uh, it was great. I think I did it for about three or four months before I took a break. Like I did three or four months straight every wow. night. Yeah. And let me preface that by saying part of the reason that I did that and I could get away with it was because of all the nights I'd spent performing at Hogpenny. And when you mentioned the Beatles earlier, it's true. 
when you perform consistently over and over and over and over again, you're going to get better whether you like it or not. Better at singing, better at playing, better at stagemanship, better at pacing yourself physically, better at everything, you know? So it was, it wasn't a real grind doing the live streaming every day, but it got to the point, I actually took a break. I just, I think I got sick. I got a throat cold or something. I had to take a week off. But the good thing about taking a break down then is it gives you some perspective. It lets you mm -hmm. sort of unplug from the machine, from, from the, you know, the internet yeah. and just take a, get a better look on things. So so that was good. So I've, I've had to do that. I've done that a couple of times over the first year where I've taken a break for a couple, uh, like a week here or there. And it always gives me a chance to sort of get a better perspective. So I've changed the format of the show up a little bit. We can go through all the iterations, but basically a lot of things have just sort of changed been made based upon the data I'm getting from the, the shows prior, which is always good to be course correcting your ship as you're going along. And um, yeah, I mean, live streaming versus doing an actual in-person live show. Well, first of all, there, there's the idea that you can, you can live stream to anybody anywhere, which goes without saying. I mean, if, if you're online, you've got an entire world at your fingertips as a possible audience. But there, there's something else to be said too. I think the live streaming is more relevant now than ever because of COVID and the pandemic and the lockdowns and just the lack of uh, socializing that people have, generally speaking. Because one of the big things about live shows, at least when I, so I did a lot of these sort of uh, self-promoted self-book tours throughout the UK and in Canada. And these events were always sort of like 100, 150 people cap type rooms, smaller rooms, but they're very social events. Everybody's chatting with each other. I do, I always would always do a pre-show hangout with folks. And then, you know, afterwards people are chatting and it's about being in a room with a bunch of people that love the same kind of musical experience that you do. Right. So a lot of people are missing that. And it's a very popular, uh, I hate to use the word hobby, but it's a very popular event for people to go to live shows. And I think live streaming because you, you create a community the same way that you would if you're doing it in person. There's a community of people that they get to know each other and their personalities through the chat rooms in all, whether you're doing it on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, you know, Twitch, whatever, it doesn't matter. There's going to be a community that builds around these live streaming. And as an artist building a fan base, you're essentially fan base. You can unplug fan base and put in the word community. And I'll tell you, it's a much better way to visualize what you're creating for yourself as a mu musical business, because there's a difference between treating your music as a business and treating it as a hobby. Here, I will, you, I will use the word hobby. And live streaming has just really filled that void as best as I think you possibly can without being able to see these people face to face. And the other thing is that live streaming, because again, because of the pandemic and a lot more people have been doing it, it's become a lot more mainstream to, to get people involved in watching a live stream, because they know what the word is. It's just become a lot more prevalent. It's not like this kind of niche, weird, geeky, oh, they sit on their computers and they watch other guys play. No, it's actually, it's as common now as watching a show on Netflix, which five years ago, people were like, what, what the hell's Netflix, right? I mean, I remember when Netflix was a DVD rental box at the grocery store. I mean, that's what it was. That's what it started out as, right? Um, VHS cassettes or whatever. So, so I think live streaming is actually, it's evolving and things are going to change, especially you're going to see things like 5G as that rolls out and, and bandwidth speeds are getting faster and faster and cameras get better and better. You start, you're going to start seeing some maybe augmented reality, AR type elements getting posted in there. Like people, you're going to be able to like engage with people in, in ways you've never thought of before. And, and by the way, just to let put set the record straight, it's not nightly anymore. I think, I think in the summer of 2020, I, I, I dropped it down to six nights a week and then five. And I've been at five nights a week for six months, Wednesday through Saturday. How dare you take the weekends off? Or how do you, how dare you take two days off a week? I know, I know. Mondays and Tuesdays are my weekends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's, that's, that's amazing. So, I mean, a couple of things that popped up as you were sharing that one. Uh, so you're just talking about this idea of like AR and virtual reality components with the live streaming. I think that's, that's mm -hmm. really fascinating. And, and I think you're right that that's something that, you know, looking forward, are, 
elements are going to start being brought into it, both like live stream for musicians, but just like in general, right? With like mm-hmm. Oculus, Rift and, and whatnot and our phones. The retreat that, that we were talking about that, that I went to, you know, two weeks ago, someone pulled out their phone and he does these like virtual hikes where he just like goes around the world and goes on hikes. And he has this, um, this gear that basically records it. So he pulled up his phone, he was showing it to me and he was like looking around and, you know, it was this beautiful hike and this like really cool virtual reality experience, but like done on your phone, like you move your phone around and you can kind of, it's like, you're there. It's like a little portal, like a little mm-hmm, portal mm-hmm. Yeah, into yeah. another place. And I think you're right. I think that in terms of musicians and live shows and live performances, it's probably there's probably going to be a point where it's like the virtual experience of literally like holding up your phone, looking around, or even better, like eventually when when uh, we either have instead of like phones, but they're a little bit more like natively. Um, connected to our brains, maybe, or like we have like glasses or something that that really mm-hmm. like allow us to to stream like that. That would be re- really cool. So, uh, so it sounds like you know you've been live streaming for for a while, and you mentioned that you started out doing it for um, your inner circle, for kind of this private community. I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about your inner circle and like what that looks like and how how that got started. Right. So the inner circle has always been hosted on Patreon. So for people that don't know, Patreon is a website uh, where you go, it doesn't matter really what kind of art you create. Um, it doesn't actually have to be art. They do all sorts of uh, creator type uh, hosting options. And what it is, is you basically create a community, which you then um, you then monetize on a monthly basis as a membership fee. And then you offer different levels of perks, right? So so for my inner circle, it's, you can call it whatever you want. Uh, for a long time, it was just Will Black on Patreon. But what three or four years into it, I thought, you know, I should brand this because if it ever, if I ever decided to take this community off of Patreon, because maybe Patreon would fail for some reason, if I had a branding for it, people would know, oh, it's, I just take the branding to another site or whatever. So I started calling it the inner circle. I created a little graphic, thought it was fun. A lot of members buy clothing and apparel with that graphic on it. So they show kind of a spree decor by wearing it and posting pictures of it, which is always great. Whenever you can do that as an artist with your own branding, it's great for you. And you know what? The fans love it. They love to be able to wear your stuff. So Inner Circle on Patreon started, I think, uh, February 14th. Is it Valentine's Day? It's it's like, I think it's the day before Valentine's Day, February 13th, uh, 2013. We do kind of an anniversary of it every year. And it kind of had a nice surge when I first started. And then over the years, I got to be honest, up until I left Bermuda and my gig at Hogpain, which was my day job, that was my day job. I was working five nights a week from basically 8.30 to 1.30. So it was like five hours a night travel, set up. I had to set up and tear down my stage every night, play for three hours straight, which was the gig. That's the way it went. Tear it down, go home. Now, luckily, I only lived around the corner. But the point I'm making is that that was my gig. That was my day job. So my independent music career was something on the side. And it was a hobby. I treated it as a hobby because it wasn't my my livelihood. It was my sole source of income that I was supporting my family with. When I left Bermuda in November of 2017 and came here to Estonia, which is where I've been ever since, it became my sole source of income. And that was something that I wanted to challenge myself with. And that, I guess you were talking about like kind of like uh, milestones in my career. That was milestone number three is when, when we as a family left Bermuda, we just had our son, we came here and I said, you know, I want to give it a go. Um, I want the freedom just to focus on my music and make a living off my, my business. That was the big third milestone for me. And, and that was really driven by the income I had coming in every month and still do from Inner Circle through Patreon. Um, membership is, I think right now it's about 137 members, which 
which is okay. What I would say is, is defining of the inner circle isn't the number of people in it, but the quality of the people that are in it, right? It's a community of people that really want to integrate and support you that much more than just a regular fan. I've had people who have been members since the beginning and people who've just joined, but they all have this same sort of trait where there's like, they really support independent music. They're really keen on what you do. And, you know, I've got some people that, that uh, support me every month, but I never see them. I never hear from them. Doesn't mean they don't care. It's just some people prefer to support just by financially supporting every month, you know? And then I got some people that uh, they may be on one of the lowest levels, like the tiers, like the entry level I have is like $3 a month, but they might be the most vocal and you might see them the most, but that's just the level that they're able to contribute. At. I've got a bunch of different levels. It goes from three, five, 10, 20. And then I've got some like angel level ones above that, which I've got a few of those members as well. And I think the biggest thing with them is that I always try and keep them first and foremost. If there's any sort of new announcements or is there anything up with me, um, I try and make sure that they know about it first and foremost. They, they get the live streams twice a week. That's sort of a general one that everyone gets. And then they get more perks as they go up. The kind of the main VIP level is $20 a month. They get a personal video song request recorded for them every month, which I'm actually just in the middle of doing this week. And, and But it's been great. Um, and there's a lot of growth potential there. And I'm always working on better ways to connect with this community, whether it's on Facebook, which is the main social network I work through, that and YouTube, and how to connect best with people and offer them what they're looking for um, by giving them the value that they get when they join Inner Circle. This is about value, right? So they're going to pay you more money per month to be part of your Inner Circle. The idea is that you're also going to be able to give them more value back. So there's never a feeling like, well, what am I charging so much for these people? Why, why, you know, ne you never second guess why you would be charging people for your services as a musician because you have every right to, as long as you understand that as you charge more for your services, you're giving them something that's more value than you would give at a lower level. And I think that's a very justifiable way to look at your business. Oh, what's up guys? So quick intermission from the podcast so I can tell you about an awesome free gift that I have for you. I wanted to share something that's not normally available to the public. They normally reserve for our $5,000 clients that we work with personally. This is a presentation called Six Steps to Explode Your Fan Base and Make a Profit with Your Music Online. And specifically, we're gonna walk through how to build a paid traffic and automated funnel that's gonna allow you to grow your fan base online and the system's designed to get you to your first $5,000 a month with your music. We've invested over $130,000 in the past year to test out different traffic sources and different offers and really see what's working best right now for musicians. And so I think it's gonna be hugely valuable for you. And so if that's something you're interested in, in the description, there should be a little link that you can click on to go get that. And uh, the other thing I want to mention is, you know, if you want to do us a, a huge favor, one thing that really makes a big difference early on when you're creating a new podcast is if people click subscribe, then it basically lets the algorithm know that this is something that's new and noteworthy and that uh, people actually want to hear and so that'll help us reach a lot more people so if you're getting value from this and you get value from the free trainings then if you want to do us a favor i'd really appreciate you clicking the subscribe button all right let's get back to the podcast mm, that's that's so important yeah i mean that's like the fundamental thing with business it's like business 101 or it's like the the most foundational element of business is figuring out what do people value and what is what is value and then how do you how do you serve at a higher level and how do you provide more value and so it sounds like that's really the point that you focus on that's allowed you to grow this community and to build this tribe is really figuring out you know what do they value and in a lot of cases like you said people 
I think as musicians, sometimes we undervalue ourselves or we, we forget to, or we, we, you know, the, in the music community as a whole, there's this mindset of like starving artists. And um, right. sometimes it, it really takes uh, an ability to shine a light on that and to, to and stop focusing on yourself so much and think more about like, you know, what's valuable for your fans. And doing that, you know, allows you to provide more value and to have, have more of a sustainable business from it. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think, I don't know why, but I see, I think with younger musicians, like I feel like I'm kind of in the middle, I'm 43. And I see a lot of musicians that are older than me. I see a lot of musicians that are younger than me. I'm sort of right in the middle of the pack, I think. But I think with the younger musicians that maybe still as people don't have the ex life experiences under the belt to really appreciate the amount of value that their music brings to other people. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with charging people to experience your music and what you have to offer as a musician. Because there's lots of other services I offer. Like I do uh, private live streaming, group hangouts. Like I do those as well, which is, those are great. I've got some higher level things where I do, I do song commissions or songlets, I call them, which are tiny snippets of songs, like a 60 second song for people that like, ah, oh, you know, I kind of like instead of offering the full song commission, give them a smaller one. Lots of different like uh, merch items, shirts, uh, signed lyric sheets, pre-release access to content, which is something I'm doing with this new record I'm rolling out. It's fantastic because what happens is that the fans are part of an experience that is unique just to you. And for them to be able to contribute and know that they're helping you financially, it, it gives them uh, a real satisfaction. And uh, I th just think that a lot of musicians have to understand that, that there's nothing wrong with asking for support when you're providing this service. I know music sometimes comes across as a sort of like a intangible thing and it's all about creative and the finances are going to ruin it. Well, let, let me stop you right there because if you're going to be an independent music business person, you have to embrace the business side of it to a degree and actually a large degree and sometimes more than the artistic side, <laughs> which is what I found, you know, the, the administrative and logistical sides of it can be quite uh, uh, imposing. That's such a good point. Um, it's been reflected a few times in the, last, in the last few weeks for me is this point of you need to ask if you want something, you know, you need to be willing to ask for it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we avoid asking for something because we're afraid that the answer is going to be no. And the truth is a lot of times if you ask for something, the answer is going to be no. But if you don't ask for it, then the answer is most definitely no. <laughs> you know, like you're not going <laughs> to it, especially when it comes to making offers, you know, like as a business, your income is going to be directly related to how many offers are you making. And, you know, if you're not making, if you're not asking, if you're not making offers, if you're not creating things that are valuable and asking people if, if it's valuable enough for them to invest in it, then you're not going to be making any, any income. And a lot of the most successful business owners or, or, or you know, entrepreneurs are people who've gotten really good at asking and getting rejected and learned that it's not personal and that through the asking, uh, you get feedback and you learn, okay, what do people actually find valuable? And mm -hmm. you're able to adapt that based on that. Yeah, and it's, you bring up a great point about things being personal. Social networks buy their, we, we draw a very fine line between personal, not personal, because you're, you're, you're interacting with people on a one-to-one -one basis. Um, they're writing comments on your posts. You know, a lot of my interactivity with my fans is, is through live streaming, but I also have a lot of uh, videos I use of video performance. I've got hundreds of videos I've filmed over the last 10 years. And I'm, I'm kind of over the last six months just started kind of rolling them out a bit to try and engage the fan base because I've got all this content. Now, I've seen every comment you can imagine from really amazingly like life story, like, wow, I can't believe that my music 
you got something I got from music. People are like, you're shit. I just think you're shit and you should take your stuff down. <laughs> Why are you even trying? Why are you even right. bothering? Right? Mm. So everything, most yeah. people tend to be in the middle, right? Just like politics. Most people tend to be in the middle, right? And then you got your extreme, you know, lovers and your extreme trolls. So I think you have to take all that with a grain of salt and, and just be aware that it's really like, if, if I can put on the, again, the, the administrative hat for a minute, it's data. Mm. Understand that our people, a lot of people are saying things to you, but you have to kind of take a step back from it and look at it like constructively. Like this is information state that you can take and go, okay, is there anything from this I can glean that maybe there's some good constructive feedback coming here that like, oh, maybe the camera angle wasn't particularly good on that shot. Or maybe my mic is a little funky sounding on this video, right? Stuff like that. And most of the time, I gotta be honest, people do not give you constructive feedback. They don't, they don't give you like a real nugget of wisdom. Like, wow, that's awesome. Not because they don't want to, because they probably just don't realize how they could say something you could take from it. But not taking the negative stuff too personally and also not taking the positive stuff too personally as well. And just understand that uh, it's it's all good, but you got to see it from the right perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is that is certainly a superpower in, in and of itself is learning how to have thick thick skin and taking things, I love what you said, like taking what works for you and... And just dropping the rest and not taking not taking it too personally. It's way too. If you take all the trolls or all or any hate comments you get too seriously, then it's it's going to be game over. Because the bigger you grow, the more you know, the more people that are going to be like that. There's just naturally the same way that a C chord doesn't resonate well with an F sharp chord. You know, like it's there's going to be people who just don't don't get it. And also, like one thing that I see a lot is people feeling discouraged or artists, especially if they're earlier on, they haven't established um, really a core audience yet. And they haven't really built a community yet of people who are enjoying their music. And they're sort of relying on their friends and family or or close um, Mm -hmm. relationships to support their music. And sometimes they're really supporting you because they know you and because they're your friends and family, but they're not necessarily like a super fan or the person who really gets it, you know, who loves the music. It's just like a fan for the sake of being a fan. And so it seems like sometimes when that's the case, it's hard to really realize the true value that your music that, that like that, that there will be people in the community that are really at that, that super fan level. I'd love to hear a little bit about like, maybe we could dig deeper into clearly, you know, you've, you've have a lot of experience doing live streams and building this, this community of people and those 140 people, like that's, those are like the roots, the roots of your tree, right? Like that's like, those are some very high quality, yes. high quality connections that, that you've made. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, a couple of things that I'd like to dig into. One is like for someone who is just starting out and they haven't built that kind of community yet, how do they, you know, start to establish that inner circle community or how do they start to, to establish that? And then two, with the live streams, I'd just be curious, what are the elements that you think go into making live streams successful or how can people make them as engaging as possible? And what are some general tips around how do people structure their live streams and what should they do and say on, on the live streams? Okay, so so a successful live stream, the nuts and bolts are, I, I'm going to be honest, here's, here's, a, here's a confession. I don't own a smartphone and haven't owned a smartphone um, in about 10, 15 years. Back wow. then, they weren't even called smartphones. Yeah. Um, I've got a phone, but it's a, a 2008 Nokia candy bar phone. <laughs> um, so the reason I'm mentioning that is I don't stream from my phone. 
I have no experience streaming from a mobile device. I'm a PC guy, always have been. Uh, no offense to Mac users, Mac's fine, but I just use PC. And I use OBS, which is a, a free open source uh, piece of software that you can stream from. It's fantastic. Works great. It's very solid. It's been around for years. They're like on version 26 of it. It's very solid. So you need some basic components. You need a camera. Okay. You can use the camera on your laptop. Let's assume you've got a laptop. Lots of people have, you know, we'll say people have laptops. Laptops, you can use that. I use a Logitech uh, HD 1080p high-end uh, camera. I've used it for a while now. They're about $200 American. So that's my camera I'm using right now for this podcast that we're doing this interview. Uh, you need a decent mic. Now, I'll, I've experimented with a lot of different ones. I've had the mic right in front of my face, similar to what uh, you're using right now. I mean, that looks like an SM7 you're using or something like that, for sure. I've got one of those. I've used uh, Beta 57s, 58s, whatever. These are all different Sure microphones. What I'm using now is a bit different. I'm using a, a Zoom H4N field mic. It looks like a rectangle and it's got a stereo mic. It looks like a set of crosshairs kind of on the front of it. I put that on a mic stand off camera and then out of the line out or headphone jack, it's the same thing. I just run a little quarter inch or sorry, a stereo sized uh, jack into the mic input on my laptop. That's what you're hearing right now when I snap my fingers. Okay, it's just one mic. But it's a room mic, so it's picking up a room sound. So when, when I do anything with my guitar, in the past, I would have moved that around to mic the guitar. I would have had a, a mic on my vocal. I, I got away from that. I have a very high-end mic setup that I use for recording my records, and I was actually using that for my live stream for, for a while. But I got away from it because you know what I found is that, well, first of all, there was, there was a very concrete reason I got away from the high-techy, super studio-sounding sound. I had a malfunction with my computer. I couldn't figure out how to fix it. <laughs> so I had to figure a workaround. So I went to this mic. I've canvassed the fan base since then, and they all agree that this setup is better. For one thing, there's no mic in front of my face anymore. It's just me on a screen. Just like when you see actors in your favorite movies and they're talking, there's normally a boom mic just off camera above their heads. Same thing here. So that's the audio portion of that. The other thing you need is you need a light. You need to lay on your face. You don't want too many shadows. You don't want to be dark. If it gets dark, that looks pixely and kind of blurry. So I've just got a simple little, uh, like a desktop reading lamp hooked onto a mic stand. It's, it's, apparently this lamp has been in this house for like 40 or 50 years. <laughs> it's like my wife used it when she was a little kid. That's how old this lamp is. But anyways, I've got it on a mic stand plugged in and that's giving me just some splash on the front. The other thing is the background. This is just a curtain, but notice how it's a uniform color. There's a bit of gradation happening just adds a bit of contrast behind me. But it's a nice kind of, not too interesting, but not completely dull surface behind me. And that's it. You can do a live stream sitting down like I'm doing right now. You can do it standing up. I prefer to stand, but I've got a sore foot, so I don't stand these days. But, but standing is great. You get different energy. You can experiment with both. Some fans like some, some fans like the other. So those are the main components that you need to have before you live stream are those kind of main things. You're, you're creating a stage, right? And then the other thing you can do, if you want to start getting into more advanced stuff, you can start creating graphics. You can create them in Photoshop or any sort of uh, graphic editing software, and then you can superimpose those on your screen. I do that all the time. Great way to announce upcoming shows, any offers you're making, website links, anything. There's that. Then you got to figure out where you're going to live stream on. So I, I, I deal with two platforms for live stream. I deal with Facebook Live, and I deal with YouTube. They both have their pros and cons. Uh, at the moment, YouTube is what I use for all of my inner circle stuff, because I just have for years and years. And all my free public shows are done are on Facebook. I've also experimented in the last couple months with the new paid 
access portion of Facebook Live, which is really interesting um, because people don't have to switch networks if you want to charge them tickets. But there's some limitations to that as well, which we probably won't get into here. But those are the main, those are the networks. And then you get on there, you have to learn how to use uh, Creator, which is the name of the software application in Facebook that you stream from through creators where you create your live producer sort of uh, setup. Again, this is all off a of desktop. For on mobile, mobile, it's very similar, but some of the things would be a little bit different. None of the components about putting the live stream together is so much different, but just the way you would navigate there through Facebook. And then you basically plan a show, put a time, create it'll create an event, and then just promote that through your, your network channels to everybody who's out there in your network, which brings it back to the first question you're asking about, well, what if I don't have a network? What if it's just my family and friends and my college roommates and whatever else that are watching or listening to my music? Okay, well, first of all, they're probably not going to be your biggest fans. I'll tell you why. Because they're ob obligated to listen to your music because they know you personally. You got to get out of that circle. You got to get rid of it. They're there to help you along the way. But really, if you want to make this a business, you've got to go and find the people that connect with you for one reason only, and that's because of you and your music. Yeah. Use the musician, I mean, right? Um, mm -hmm. People that become super fans, a lot of times they, they like your personality as well. They don't think you're a scoundrel, but they love your music. That's not going to happen. But you got to create that new community. You got to get out of that comfort zone of the people that are going to tell you what you need to hear just to keep it going. Those are, you know, it's like the, those are like the hobby level group. You've got a hobby. People say it's great. They support you within your hobby. But as soon as you want to make it to like you're bringing in new people, take that next step. How do you do that? Okay, so this... This is, the, this is like one of the number one things that you learn in, 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 the, in the Gold Academy and, and that I've been doing with Modern Musician is that you learn how to get traffic into your music, which is wherever you put it online. And then in turn, you start offering people different aspects of your musical services that you have, whether you're, you're singing them a song, you've got a piece of merch, you got a new record coming out, maybe you're writing them a song, who knows? But to get that traffic organically, which means just kind of going through the idea of like, well, what if I just put up a website and SEO will pick it up, or maybe I can get a blog to carry me and I can get some traffic there. Those organic kind of passive ways of doing it. I've never had a lot of success with. I think you can maybe sort of from like a viral standpoint. And maybe if you have some real good contacts, like let's say that you're getting on with it with a record company and they have channels that they funnel their artists through to get them exposure into all, like Pitchfork or something like that, which is a big, well-known music uh, album review site. There's that aspect, but we're not talking about music labels. We're talking about you, the creator, the independent musician. How do you do it? And the most success I've had has been using Facebook ads. And Facebook ads is a very, it's a very simple, straightforward, but very deep. There's a lot of layers to it, but to get into it, it's pretty straightforward way of accessing people out there that are in your niche because it doesn't matter what kind of music you make it could be it, it's so crazy it's beyond bjork it's not even definable you know what mm -hmm. it is definable everybody's music is definable and it doesn't matter how good or bad you think your music is there's somebody out there who loves your music all right so the point is facebook ads is a way to find that community of people that are into the types of things that are associated with your music now you got to do a bit of a you know sleuthing to figure out what that target market is, and and target market is a very specific way. Like um, fans don't like being called told they're part of a target market because it takes some of the 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 magic out of it. But the fact of the matter is, if you want to get the nuts and bolts of it, fans are customers. And I always see my perspective is when you call somebody a customer, it's like I'm I'm bestowing upon you the honor of sharing what I do with you. I want you to be my best customer ever. 
fans don't like being called customers though. It's, it's, I've tried it in the past. I always kind of run up against a brick wall but that they generally seem to take it as an affront, but it isn't. It's, it's more like a badge of honor. It's like, look, I, uh, I'm sharing my music with you. Therefore, you're a customer. Therefore, I want to treat you with the respect that a customer would have. And a fan is just a industry jargon for customer, really is what it is. So you need to figure out who those people are that like your music. And then you got to market to them. You have to get your music in front of them somehow. Um, and I think one of the easiest and best ways to do that is, I'm going to give you an example right now. Record yourself on your mobile device or on your PC singing six songs. Do three, three originals and three covers. If you don't have any originals, do six covers. If you got one original, do one and five, but do, do six videos, okay? Take those videos and then have with a small budget, just a couple of dollars per day per video, start putting them on Facebook ads, start with an artist that is somehow related to what you do. So for me, a simple one is Bon Jovi. Target people like Bon Jovi, take those videos, see which ones get the most views, get not just the most views, but the longest views that get the best metrics, which is a whole other discussion. But it's pretty straightforward. Just see which ones work the best. You know, you get the most bang for your buck for. And then start from there. And out of that, you're going to get people leaving comments. You're going to get a build. You'll be building an audience based off the views of those videos that you can now remarket to. I mean, you can send them another ad, send them another video, send them another video, send them 10 videos, record yourself doing a bunch of videos. Now, here's something I want to put out there right away is that people are concerned, oh, cover videos. Am I going to get my account banned on Facebook? Well, first of all, Facebook doesn't have the digital rights management sort of uh, setup that YouTube does for, for cover covering songs. Um, so sometimes people have run into problems with cover songs being on their accounts. My, my attitude is, is, and I've never had a problem, is that you don't publish publicly your cover songs. You only upload them and use them for ads. I've never run into a problem. Just use them for ads. Don't put them, don't put them on your, don't host a cover song publicly on your Facebook business page or even your personal page. You don't need to. And you just ask and get picked up by a search engine. Right. And one thing, so I, I can speak to this because, uh, because I just talked with, or one of the last people I interviewed um, is a royalties uh, song trust where mm -hmm. like literally her whole job is like, is understanding the lay of the land. And she described it in a very similar way that like live streaming right now is, well, we talked about it in terms of live streaming, in terms of videos oh, yeah. mm -hmm. and that like live streaming is sort of like the wild west right now, where they're still kind of establishing the rules. And, but what she had mentioned, if I remember correctly, is that technically, if you publish a cover song on YouTube or Facebook, then the rights owner is within rights to to ask you to take it down if they want if they want yeah. to. Sure. But that's about the worst thing that's that's going to happen is that they ask you to to take it down or that you lose access. So like you shouldn't like put too much stock into one of the cover videos. But also like there's not as much risk as i think a lot of people kind of bring they're like oh like i you know, i don't want to like go to jail or do something but but no, really no, it's no. like for for most artists it's just it's extra promotion for them you know like it's it's not it's it's actually a win-win for everyone but just understand that it is within their rights to ask you to take it down if if you do publish it you know live on your profile mm -hmm. and even you know if it sounds like what, what you're recommending too is an even safer way of doing it is just using those for for ads without even publishing them live yeah, use them as what's called a dark post, which means that um, you use them sort of on the back end just for the ad. So what I did is about three years ago, I got I got dinged uh, officially by uh, whatever record label manages Brian Adams. Um, and they dinged me with, uh, I had a cover of Summer 69 uploaded, sitting in my face, Facebook page videos tab with a bunch of other covers. And it was like, you need to take this down. It was official. It was like, it was from Facebook. It was a copy of the letter. 
Um, I thought, oh, wow, wow, you know? Um, okay, so I took it down. I also took down every other cover song I'd ever posted and hosted on my Facebook page. I've never had a problem since, but having said that, I've been using cover songs all the time on Facebook, but I do them as dark posts, or sometimes I'll do is I'll share the dark post onto a page. The content is not living on my page. It's just been shared onto my page. It seems to work fine. The big thing is, is that when somebody, uh, when, a, when a record label is looking for whatever reason to, to nab people that are using songs, this is really, doesn't happen as much as you think, at least not my experience. They're gonna do a search in Facebook and searches are going to be looking for where the videos are originally uploaded to and parked. Normally, um, you're fine. You're fine. I mean, unless you get really, really, really popular and you start getting basically, but that's the same with anything in, the music, in any industry. As you start getting more and more attention, more people are going to pay attention to what you're doing. So you might have to change some things along the way, but we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about the very beginning. Um, so that's one way to get around that. So you get these videos up and running. Now you're creating, we talked about this earlier in the conversation, community. Now, there's a way to do this, to set this up, which is a funnel of sorts, a video funnel of people watching one video. They like it, show them another one. They like that one, they show, you show them another one. You can automate all of this, that they watch a certain percentage or of, of the video, and then they, they're, gonna be, they're gonna be into sort of a, an audience that watches the next one. You can make this as many levels deep as you want. But the point is when they kind of pop out the end of this funnel, you now have a, you now have a new fan who's no longer what we would call a cold lead, they're now a warm lead right? So I'm breaking it down using some marketing terms here to describe fans. So again, it's kind of like, eh, you know, fans don't like to be described as leads, but, but this is, we're talking about the business of music here. And so essentially what's happening is that you're taking somebody who's never heard of you. Now they've seen and engaged with your video by watching it a dozen times, say a dozen videos. Now they're a warm lead. Now that person, what I would suggest is you want to start trying to engage them with some with some more content because you don't want to lose the fact, well, they like watching videos. So give them more videos. Okay. Maybe do live streams, engage them with that, put them on your, on your profile. Uh, maybe retarget some of your live stream shows to these, to this audience. Maybe, maybe retarget an intro offer. Like uh, one thing we talk about a lot in modern musicians is a, a CD starter pack. Lots of people still buy CDs. It's not a disputable fact. It is a proven fact. So people do buy CDs still um, sell them that. Sell them a CD star pack. It's got a picture of you, maybe some stickers, maybe a CD, of course, well, of course, a CD. And with me, I put in a guitar pick. That's a whole course in and of itself to learn how to do that. But it's it's pretty straightforward. Capture their email address, send them to a, a squeeze page where, hey, you know, like uh, if you come and sign up for my newsletter, I'll give you three unreleased songs or something like that. Now, somebody who's first starting out might be like, well, I don't have a lot of content. Well, create some. Take an afternoon and record six of your favorite songs. Just get them down in front of your camera. Doesn't have to be too fancy. Um, that's really not important. What comes across the humanity of what you're doing is more important than the technology, which is, which is what I've learned as well. But just get the content down and whatever you do, keep it consistent. That's the other thing as well. And you're going to need a Facebook page. So if you don't have a Facebook page, which most of you probably do, they're listening to this. You got to have a Facebook page, which is different from your personal profile. You know, I see some artists that actually work off their personal page. I don't know why. Um, I don't see the benefit. I just, you can't, like to me, there's just a lot more uh, blips and whistles and tracking stuff with a page versus a personal profile. So I would say get off your personal profile and yeah. Not to mention, I think you're like legally, you're not allowed to use your personal profile as like a business profile on on Facebook. So you could just have your whole page or your whole account banned from it. it you could, yeah. So that yeah, and then the other thing is, if you really want to get into the community aspect of things, create a Facebook group and call it your street team. And right there and then, you've got uh, an online community where people can gather 
comment on your posts. Because what I find is that the Facebook page is like, that's like a bulletin board. You know, when you go to the music store and in the back of the store, maybe when you first walk in, they've got a big, you know, bulletin board with like people's business cards and, and gigs and lessons. That's what your Facebook page is. It's just a bulletin board that people walk by. Mm-hmm. But your Facebook group is actually like the clubhouse. That's where people go and gather and look and they go there looking for content and, and, and get used to being and seeing each other. Um, I just find that the, uh, yeah, the Facebook group um, is, a, is a better format for kind of bringing everybody together. And that's something I learned through Modern Musician as well. But that's, that's a bunch of stuff to get started, I think. And the thing is, it's all doable. Um, you, do, you do need to have a budget. I know that's the other question people ask, well, how much money am I gonna have to spend a day on this? Well, five to $10 a day, I think is a good budget to start with. And um, you're gonna need some capital to start to run off of. Um, it isn't gonna be paying for itself right off the top. Because a lot of times I found that for a person to come around on average and, and, and maybe buy one of your offers, four to six weeks is typical. Um, so it's downline. So you have to have some capital to work with. And whether you make that, you, you put some aside from your day job or you, you've already got something coming in from something else, I don't know. But uh, I think that's a good way to look at it. Just like starting any business, you need some money to start it with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I think is really important that sometimes musicians overlook is when they're just getting started with the business, starting any business is really like, yeah, in a lot of ways as online entrepreneurs, we have a huge advantage because we don't need like a retail space. We don't need to spend mm-hmm. $30,000 on, you know, just buying a store and getting everything set up. So really it's a lot faster route to market, but you're totally right. Like for, for me personally, I've invested tens of thousands of dollars um, in some cases yeah, right. money that I didn't have right away in order to build the business. And, and it wasn't necessarily like a instance. <laughs> so like you're like, it's like automatically like you're making, you know, $10,000 a month. Like it takes time and energy, but it does over time. It's like build, it's planting a seed and it starts to grow and eventually the fruits start to start to come. I know uh, we we had uh, was it what do we we call it Facebook glitch day um, oh, Facebook yeah. glitch day November eleventh November eleventh now it's on our our, cal- our calendars and modern musician because it was just this day where for some reason we don't we still don't fully understand why but Facebook glitched out or something and so all the campaigns that that our artists were running got about ten times as much traffic than, than they normally mm-hmm. do on a normal day. How much did I know for, for you is like you know, something crazy in like eight hours, like you brought in a certain amount of revenue. Like what, what did that look like? Uh, so yeah, it, it glitched up for about eight hours, I think. And I did $2,000 net sales and I brought in through my messenger. Everyone knows what messenger is, but I had 25,000 new contacts <laughs> created in eight hours. Um, my budget my budget at that point was I was spending a hundred dollars a day on ads, so, which isn't too, too crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it seems like a lot. Some of you first starting out, but a hundred bucks a day is not that much in the grand scheme. So, and yeah, an order orders of magnitude bigger. So what happened is that it was a real challenge because people end up ordering. I sold 200 seat starter packs with all my upsells, which upsells, by the way, folks, is like when you have, when someone buys a, a starter pack, they might also get an offer like, well, hey, if you're going to get the starter pack, why not get three signed lyric cards or grab this CD as well? So when you add in everything that people bought, it had over 200 orders in different configurations. And that's all manageable, except it wasn't like I was I was kind of going along and then a spike, boom, of orders. <laughs> Imagine doing that to your fulfillment system. It screwed everything right up. So it took me about six weeks. What happened is that I had to get new CDs made. Um, I had to get... Uh, I had to order stuff. I actually, 
I ended up ordering a bunch of Vistaprint stuff from India. Then that was delayed by because of COVID delays. It was just like, it was crazy. And at the same time, I had my planned calendar mail. I was going and calendars are really fussy because you have to, you have to sign it. I sign everybody's birthdays and they're really big and bulky. And it's a, it literally is, a, I'm a one man operation. I don't have any assistance at this time. So, so what I learned real quickly was <laughs> you can scale up your budget and you can scale up the amount of people you bring in your funnel very quickly at the click of a button by putting an extra zero <laughs> on your budget. But what you can't scale overnight is your fulfillment ability. Mm. Um, because when it's just one guy, uh, yeah, it was crazy. So, um, so I learned about that. I got some great contacts. Actually, there's one gal in particular, her and her mom that came through because of that day. And um, she has since gone on to create uh, the very first uh, Will Black fan group on Facebook that's ever been made, which I thought was really cool. She asked me, she said, would you mind giving me your blessing? I, I want to create a, a, a fan page for you. I said, that'd be amazing. Because the one I, the one I host, the, the Will Black Ops street team, I tell people it's not really a fan page. It's a way for me to sort of uh, quarterback the group and share content, disseminate it, create discussion, have a little host live streams but if people want to post random stuff i actually heavily moderate it i do that on purpose because i want people to know that group has a specific purpose but when audra decided hey can i create this this group on on facebook I thought, that's perfect that's great yeah i mean it's that that'd be awesome because that is exactly what i don't have the, the resources to moderate and i think that'd be another outlet so there was a lot of great things that came out of that day a real good learning experience and i and i made some money out of it too so which was great but uh, yeah, November 11th, we will, we'll remember Remembrance Day forever. <laughs> November 11th. Oh, that's, that's amazing. 25,000 25, people, eight hours, over $2,000. And that's just like, you know, that's not even talking about lifetime value of those people. Like oh, we yeah, talked yeah. about, like the majority, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, f- six weeks or, or more. I mean, if you're looking at a year or three years down the line, that's incredible. And totally, totally understand what we're talking about in terms too, in terms of, I, I call those high quality high quality problems when um, basically the problem is that things are working too well. And so it's like things start to start to break. And that's definitely been the experience with, with our business as well, is that you, know, you start, you reach these, these, these uh, glass ceilings that you have to kind of break through in terms of fulfillment. Like that becomes when you have something that's working, especially if you're doing it using the tools we're talking about with paid traffic and building automation and systems that there's these different points where in order to scale up, um, you might, you might be putting in a dollar and getting three or $4 out, but you know, there's the problem isn't, isn't the budget anymore. It's that, you know, you start to, it starts to break with fulfillment and then you have to start doing things like building a team and you have to start mm-hmm. really leaning more into automations and stuff. So that's, that's awesome. And, and uh, definitely it sounds like a big learning lesson or like a lot of things came up um, when you had that experience, which um, were a good kind of foreshadowing of, you know, as you continue to scale up some of those things that um, you'll be able to, you know, to transition so you can, you can scale effectively. Yeah, let's talk about scale for a minute, because I know that when you and I first spoke uh, for the first time in September of last year, and I said, if I, you know, to do your program, I said, the big thing is that everything you guys teach has to be scalable. And he said, yeah, that's a that's like a overlying principle of what we teach at Modern Musician. Even when you're first starting out, or if you're a veteran, scaling has to be there. You have to, when, I, when we say scaling, we're talking about the idea that you can, you can take your, your fundamental business practice and whether you're doing 100, 1,000, or 10,000 people, the strategy is pretty much the same. And you're able to fairly simply keep the strategy going. You're just kind of building upon what you're doing, almost in a fractal kind of way, um, I think is a good way to look at it without having to reinvent the horse or, or break 
like what's happened to me. My fulfillment, my fulfillment setup broke because I had so many orders that came through one day. And, and you know, I lost some customers. I had some bitchy, pissed off customers. Like, well, I waited two months for my CD. And I said, I, I actually just had to refund somebody. I, I didn't have to. Well, they asked. They said, I ordered my disc in November. I still haven't seen it yet. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. It went out before Christmas and it's been super long. And I just, just be straight up with people. Say, I just, I refunded her, you know? And I said, I'm really sorry. And she said, you know, I'm probably going to get it. If I do, I'll, I'll send it back. I said, no, 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 don't, don't send it back. I said, keep it, listen to it. Just let me know that you got it safe and sound and, and don't worry about it. And I think customer service, which is something that a lot of people will start having to experience and be part of, <laughs> is something you learn about. Always over deliver. Always be really humble and really kind with people. Remember, they are customers. I know they're fans, but they're customers first. And customers have to be treated awesomely because there's so many other options, especially with music, that they could be spending their time and money on. So uh, it's much easier to lose a, lose a customer than it is to gain one. So don't, don't ostracize your, 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 your fan base. And, and I know during the show, I'm, I'm swapping between using the word fan and customer because realistically, for a musician, that's, that's what it is. But I, I, um, it's just super important to treat them the way they deserve to be treated which is special. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly like a superpower of uh, being able to give true appreciation. You know, like you, you don't necessarily want it to like, if you're just like creating artificial, like you're just making up stuff, then it just doesn't land. But like, if you can cultivate the ability to truly appreciate, I'm um, not just like, I mean, your fans is a great example, but just like people like in your life, if you can create mechanisms in your own life in order to get really good at appreciating people and appreciating things, maybe starting a gratitude journal, like where every, mm -hmm. every day you just, you write down three things you're grateful for and make it a point in your inner circle community, like things like having a member of the month or during your live streams, I'm sure that, that you do this um, with your community is that you just, you really, you acknowledge, you acknowledge them, you appreciate them. They, you make sure that they feel seen and understood and appreciated. And as humans, like <laughs> that's like one of our most uh, foundational needs is to be appreciated and to be seen and to be heard. So I think you're totally right that a huge lever or something that's really important as a musician is learning how to appreciate your fans and to do it in a way that is very authentic and makes them feel valued. Yeah. Authentic is big. Yeah. People want to know that they're getting the real deal and they do want to be recognized. And uh, I try to make a point to say thank you as often as I can. And when I do it, be sincere about it. Don't make it sound rote. Don't make it sound routine. Just really be thankful when you say it. Mm -hmm. I, like I'm thankful right now that that you and I have this opportunity this podcast. I mean, uh, six months ago I'd never heard of you. <laughs> and here we are, six months from now, and and, and uh, now we have got this great relationship and a whole bunch of new option opportunities to work together throughout 2021 and move forward. And it's grateful. I, I'm very grateful for the community of Modern Musician because uh, it's just it's a group of people that have very uh, similar uh, goals, morals towards achieving those goals, and in a musical context. Thank you, man. I, I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, the feel, feeling is definitely mutual, um, both in terms of, I mean, with you, I'm, I'm really grateful. I'm grateful for this whole community that we're building with like the Gold Arts Academy and also everyone that's listening to this right now of musicians. You know, I think that we have this amazing opportunity to, to really to connect with people. And, and there's sort of this like healing process that happens with music when you really learn to express yourself. And, and I just feel really grateful for the opportunity to, you know, like I, as time has gone on, I've realized more and more 
that this whole like modern musician and everything we're doing isn't really about me personally as much as about the movement, about the community and about the team and about the the artists and the fact that there's a need there. Um, so I also hugely appreciate you both like from your literally decades of experience um, through you know, it's like, it's not the easy path, right? Like this is becoming a musician and, and doing this, like there are much yeah, not easier, easy. easier paths you could have taken, but it took oh, a lot yeah, of yeah. inward, like, you know, reflection. And I think a lot of, a lot of challenge in order to, to go down that path. So I definitely want to honor you for being on that path and for, you know, being generous to, to not only be on that path, but to share some lessons that you learned. So, so thanks for, for taking the time to be here today. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Cool. All right. So for anyone that's uh, watching or listening to this right now, and they're like, oh man, this is, this is awesome. This is really helpful. And I'd like to, you know, maybe look more into Will Black so I can, so I can connect with him or I can just kind of, I can watch one of his live streams or I can like check out his Patreon. What's the best place for people to learn more about you? Right. Well, Facebook's probably a good place to go since that's where I'm at most of the time. And that's just facebook.com slash Will Black. If you want to go a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole, you can just sign up for my newsletter, which is at willblack.net. Um, and then if you go onto YouTube, easiest way to get there is willblack.com slash YouTube. Yeah. Yep. So we'll, we'll put all the links uh, in the show notes too, so that people yeah, can yeah, just yeah. go there and click sure. it as, as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, Will, Will, you're the man. I uh, really appreciate, appreciate you and I uh, hope that 2021, um, you're both able to you know, to continue to deepen your relationship with your community through the online, through the live streams and, you know, knock on wood, we'll, we'll see um, the state of the world if we can start uh, doing some some uh, live shows and maybe, maybe you can make it out here to Orlando, Florida. Yeah, I'd love to get down there. It's a beautiful part of the country. Thanks. Boom. Awesome. Awesome, man. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.